0: Let's stand together. Open our Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. I know everyone in here is thankful for their mother. It's just making sure that we express it. Not once a year, not only on these special occasions, but all year long. 1 Samuel 7, we'll start reading in verse 15. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. The life of Samuel was absolutely amazing. If you look at the day and age that he lived in... uh, We see at the end of the book of Judges that it says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel. And God raised up a man of God, Samuel, who judged Israel. The Bible says he did it all the days of his life. He would travel on circuit. He would preach and pray and help the people. He was the one that anointed both Saul and David but he's greatly used of God, and what we can't forget, go back with me to First Samuel. One was his humble beginnings and his godly mother. Hannah, what an amazing woman. What an amazing study. Many times we've preached on Hannah and Samuel and the life of this young man. But I want to look once again at his humble beginnings. Go back in verse 25. You know the story, you know? the miraculous birth, because she was barren, she prayed, God rewarded her prayer and she brought forth a child. She, after having weaned him, she brings him to Eli, verse 26, and she said, "'O my Lord, as I soul liveth, my Lord, "'I am the woman that stood by thee here, "'praying unto the Lord. "'For this child I have prayed, "'and the Lord hath given me my petition, "'which I asked of him. "'Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, "'as long as he liveth, "'he shall be lent to the Lord.'" And he worshiped the Lord there. Little Samuel was raised in that temple with Eli. But I want you to look at this mother. And the Bible says that Samuel, even at the end of his life, uh, he lived in Ramah. He uh, died and was buried there in Ramah. And I believe he did that because that's where his mother was at. I'm sure he took care of her, loved her. Uh, There was great bond there and a great affection But I'm thankful for my mother, and I'm saddened by the way that we've minimized motherhood and the importance of motherhood. There's no way Israel would have had this great man of God in their history without a great and godly mother. We often forget behind every great man there's a great mother. In society, because they've minimized the importance of motherhood, we are paying the result, and we're seeing juvenile delinquency and all the problems that have resulted— from mothers not being in their place, not being in their station. But I could imagine this great man of God hugging his mother's neck and saying these words, Thank you, Mom, for all that you've invested in me. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take this opportunity publicly this morning to thank my mother and everything she's invested in my life and in my ministry. I know there's no way. No way in the world I would have had any hope without a mother investing years into my life. And so I want to compare the blessings that I have enjoyed with the blessings that Samuel enjoyed in his life. I want to say thank you, number one, for being so resilient and for overcoming so much adversity. If you look back at the life of Samuel, now here's what we think. You know, we often see Bible Figures and read Bible stories. Just imagine, because they were Bible characters, they probably didn't have the obstacles or the problems, the headaches or the heartaches that we do. But these were real people with real problems. And if you go back to chapter one, verse two, it speaks of Elkanah, the husband of Hannah, the father of Samuel, and Hannah had no children at this point. She was barren. Now. Here's what we do know, she did have some things in her favor and one of those things was a godly husband. Verse three says, this man, Elkanah, went up out of the city yearly to worship. And this was less and less common during this time period in Israel. Israel had gotten, had strayed from God, had strayed from his word, had strayed from his principles. We know according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, it was commanded of the Jews, the Israelites, to go up and worship at least three times a year. At this point, the ark of God hadn't been transferred to Jerusalem. It was still in Shiloh. And for these, in Ramah, it was about a 20-mile trip. Now, you've got to remember, they didn't just get in their minivan and drive on over to the temple to worship. It's a long and hard trip to make, but they'd make it three times a year. So he was a very godly man. He was a generous man. The Bible says in verse 4, when the time was come that Elkanah offered he gave to Peninnah his wife and all her sons and her daughters portions but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion he gave extra to Hannah he was a very generous man a kind man a godly man but despite that fact I can't imagine living in this home because he had two wives that's an awkward situation I've dealt with a lot of marital issues, and I've counseled a lot of couples, but I, I've never sat in my office with a man and his two wives trying to give them some kind of counsel. I, I cannot even imagine what I'd attempt to say. The first thing I'd do, I'd call several preachers, put them on speaker phone, and say, hey, I've got a case here that you need to help me with because I have no clue what to say to this couple, this trio, this whatever. But Hannah had problems in her life so she's barren which was a frustration and uh, look what the bible says about it in verse 6 her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the lord had shut up her womb satan was provoking her and there was a constant competition going on in the home there was a constant frustration because she knows the other woman of the home has had children she's been blessed and hannah's not she's barren so Despite all this, we see a resilient woman who's determined to move forward and make the best that she can out of life despite its problems. Aren't you glad your mother did the same thing? How many of you are convinced at this point of your life that your mother had a perfect, problem-free life? That's why if she's in town, you better hug her neck and take her out for a steak dinner. Make sure to spoil her today because mothers put up with a lot of problems now we're dealing with the superficial problems if I had the time and I know it it wouldn't disturb you we'd go deeper into the problems of this chapter like her husband who looked at her and said what are you fussing about not having any children you have me (laughs) husband that's not real it's not a real smart thing to say You know, people talk about the doghouse or sleeping on the couch. You may not be sleeping in the same neighborhood (laughs) if you make those kind of statements. And then, listen, even when she was trying to do right, she had problems because she's going down to the temple and praying and weeping and fasting. She's laying down on the altar begging God to give her a child. And the man of God walks up, bumps her and says, hey, woman, what are you doing drunk in the house of God? Boy, that's a blessing. You know how often... Mothers have put up with crazy comments and crazy situations and still managed to keep their sanity. Thank God for a mother who overcame a lot of obstacles in life, a mother with a lot of resilience. You know, I'm just thankful for a good home. and I, I used to say a normal home, but it wasn't normal. It was way above normal. To think... I woke up every day to a hot breakfast, three square meals a day, never saw my mother drunk, never saw my mother smoke, never heard my mother cuss. She reared seven children. Try that. Seven children, five of them are boys. And she kept her sanity. Now, if it were just a house with nine, that would be a large task but she had always in her house someone else living there, another family, uh, more boys. Dad was always offering the house to someone in need. Uh, so not only was she cooking for our family, but normally she was cooking for an additional four, five, six people. Often strangers were brought on a moment's notice and she was still handling the obligations of being a pastor's wife and all, all that entailed as far as the obligations of the ministry. Now, how she has any hair left (laughs) or any sanity, I don't know. But I thank God. I can say just like Samuel, I have a mother that was resilient in the midst of all of life's circumstances. No, she was not perfect. I'm sure she had a bad day or two, but I thank God somehow she survived all of that and still had time for us. Thank you, Mom. Number two, I'd have to say like Samuel, thanks, Mom, for making the house of God my second home. Look what it says in chapter 1, verses 25 through 28. We see that she brings Samuel to Eli, leaves him there in the temple. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli. The priest, chapter 3, verse 1, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before he lied. As a child, verse 3. Ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Samuel was laid down to sleep in the temple of the Lord. He was left there. He was raised there every day of his life until his death was spent in the temple of the Lord with the exception of the times that he was out on the circuit preaching and teaching and helping others. Other than that, this was his home. You say, where do you live, preacher? Well, I was pretty much raised, born and raised right here at 1300 Red Street. I've slept on these pews. I've played in that baptistry. I know every inch of this building thanks to hide-and-go-seek during the long afternoon hours that we stayed here. I would have to say during our years at Capital City, I probably spent more time in this building than I did in my own house. And I thank God for that, that we were raised in the church house. I can't imagine waking up on a Sunday morning and wondering if my mom or dad were going to take me to church or not. Listen, we didn't race in and race out. We were the first ones here and the last ones to leave. I've cleaned every inch of this building. I've vacuumed the carpet. I've picked up books hundreds of times. We've done too many projects to count. i thank god for parents especially a mother that kept us in the house of god and let me say this mothers the worst thing you could do for your child is miss a church service you don't want to teach that child that church isn't important you want to make sure every time those doors are open it doesn't matter if it's a sunday morning or a sunday night a wednesday night or a special meeting a monday night or a tuesday night a missions conference You want to make sure to have your children in the house of God where they understand the importance of being around the people of God and find a place for them to serve. You know what I, I love about this story? She made him, in 1 Samuel 2, verse 18, Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. She made him a little linen ephod. Here's this little boy running around with a little linen ephod serving in the house of God. And Let me just interject here because this isn't one of my main points. I'm thankful not only that she kept me in the house of God and she taught us to minister to people. I had a mother that made things and baked things and helped people and served people. And in between the classes she was teaching and the people she was hosting and the hospital visits she was making, she always had time to teach us to minister. But let me interject this as point 2B. I thank God for all the things she made us when we were children. Little he, Mom made this boy... A little linen ephod for him to work in the temple. How many of you have mothers that made you a million things when you were little? Homemade bread, peach cobbler, peach jam. Now some of the things she made and some of the things she made uh, us make, but all the same was her handiwork. I remember canning during uh, the fall of the peaches. Dozens and dozens of jars, and then she would give half of them away. And apricots, I thought, we went through all that hard labor, and she'd say, load it in a box, put it in the trunk, and take it to church. Take it to church? We just spent two weeks of our life making that. Yes. Sharing, caring, that's what Christians do. We just weren't old enough to be a Christian at that age. I thank God for the patches that she put on our pants. Uh, For all the arts and crafts, my mother is an artist and all the science projects she helped us with. She made a lot for us children. She made everything except money. I thank God. The The only thing I'm not thankful that she made, she made us study Latin one summer. Yeah, that was a bummer. But other than that, I'm a pretty thankful person. I was just in New York preaching a conference, and we were there with Brother Camillary's grandchildren. But it was a blessing. One night, we were getting ready to go to church, and little Greg's son, how old is that boy? One years old, running around, and I said, what are you doing? Church, church. A smile on his face. Getting ready to walk out the door, go into church. Now, you want that same smile to be on their face when they're 14 and 15 and 16. Amen. But your children ought to be excited about church, and there's no way that'll happen unless you're excited about church. If they see you frustrated to go and looking for an excuse to skip out, they'll be the same way. But if they see a love, a genuine love in your heart for the house of God and the people of God and the Word of God, they'll share that same love and joy and passion. thank God for mother that instilled that in me. I love everything about the church. I love the church yard and I love the church entryway. And I love, and this building is old and I know it's been remodeled, but I still love this church. When I think about Buying land and building a new building, I get a little nostalgic and I think about all my childhood memories growing up. You know what? You ask me where we grew up as children, I can't even remember. I have a hard time finding the places because this is literally where I grew up 1300 Red Street. I thank God for that. Number three, like Samuel, I'd have to say, Thank you, Mom, for getting me around great men of God. Now imagine the privilege that Samuel had. This day and age was wicked. People were not doing right. Men of God were scarce, hard to come by. And she took her son as soon as he was weaned and left him in the house of God with the man of God. Eli was the greatest man of God of his generation. And Samuel was raised by him. He ate with him, traveled with him, made sacrifices with him. From morning till night... His whole day was around the man of God. I think one of the greatest privileges of being born and raised in a pastor's home is all the time you get to spend with great men of God. We were raised around men of God. I, I couldn't even list them all. Brother West and Brother Smith and Brother Shock. I hunted turkey with Pastor Don Camp. How many people ever got to do that? I remember Brother Kemp calling with his turkey collar, calling and calling and calling. About 30 minutes later, camouflage hat peeked out behind some bushes, and he realized that he was calling another hunter. (laughs) That's why you always identify the object before you pull the trigger. I've eaten lunch with Tom Williams. I've Ridden around and spent hours with Harold Clayton. I've heard Jack Piles, Tom Malone, J. Harold Smith. I heard J. Harold Smith preach God's Free deadlines. Curtis Hudson and hundreds more. I was personal friends because of my father. I was personal friends with Ed Nelson, Jim Vineyard, Earl Hughes, Raymond Barber, Jack Wood, Rick Martin, and countless others. How many people can say that? I remember our senior trip. Mom did, mom did not have much money. She always had I don't know where she got it. Maybe she made it. Maybe that's one of the... Maybe she did make money. (laughs) Because I know dad didn't give her any money. But somehow she convinced my dad to take us to Washington, D.C. Mona was a senior. She said, we're going to combine these senior trips and make it one family trip. And... That trip, instead of revolving around sightseeing in Washington, D.C., we traveled through Mississippi and went to church and went to a revival. Then we went by Faith Baptist Camp in Resaca, Georgia, and heard great men of God met Brother Sammy Allen. We were there the night that James Crumpton, the famous message on Jesus that everyone's trying to get their hands on. We were in the camp meeting the night he preached that. Because I had a mom and dad that wanted to get us around men of God. A lot of the friends that I have in the ministry, I inherited because of a godly father that had godly friends. And I'm thankful for a mom that wanted to put me in the presence of those great men of God. Go with me back to chapter 1, verse 10. I'm thankful for a mom for the fact she was a woman of prayer. Look at Hannah here. She goes to the temple. Verse 10. She was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord, and she wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man and child, then I'll give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now go with me to chapter 2, verse 1, when God answers that prayer. We see her again rejoicing and praising God through prayer. In the first 10 verses of this chapter, verse 1 says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. Here's what you're going to see in the life of Samuel if you study this man in his ministry. He was a man of constant, persistent, passionate prayer, and that was learned through his mother. Amen. Mother, there's nothing you can do greater for your children than to be an example as a prayer warrior. They need to see you on your knees. They need to hear you pray. They need to know that mom can get a hold of heaven Mom knew how to pray. Thank God for a mother. She knew how to preach. Oh, my goodness, she could preach. Man, sometimes dad would just hand the devotions over to her. Dad was out of town. Dad could usually preach about a 25 or a 30-minute devotion. Mom could do laps around dad when it came to (laughs) devotions. It would take dad about six or seven verses to do a 30-minute devotion. Mom could read a half of a proverb and preach for an hour. And if lightning didn't fall, she would call forth lightning. (laughs) If the Spirit didn't come down, she'd preach till the Spirit came down. Amen? But I'm thankful, even more powerful than her preaching, her devotions, was her prayer life. I'll actually be honest with you. Her prayer life scared me. Because I knew she prayed, and I knew she got a hold of God, and I knew I always wanted her praying in my favor. I hope your children can say the same. I hope your children can say, I know my mother is a woman of prayer when she prays, she gets a hold of the throne of heaven. Number five, thank you, mom. I'd have to say like Samuel, thank you for teaching me principles of authority. Chapter three, verse three, where we just read, the Bible says Samuel's there in the temple sleeping. He laid down. Verse 4, the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. Look what it says in verse 5. He ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I call not, lie down again. His mother had taught him something about principles of authority because when he thought in the middle of the night that the man of God had called him, he immediately jumped up, responded with great respect, and he did it repeatedly repeatedly. Thank God for a mom taught us principles of authority. And I thank God she taught us to obey all authority, to love all authority. She never gave us any choices in what authority we could obey or disobey. They would send us, she would choose babysitters that were only two or three years older than us. That's humiliating as a teenage boy. <laughs> Have an 18-year-old girl as the babysitter. Do you know what she was doing? Teaching principles of authority. Little Samuel could have never ministered, never been a blessing, never been a help in that home and in that ministry in the temple had his mother not taught him not only to listen to and obey but to respect and love all authority. That's a missing piece to the puzzle in the lives of most young people. Young people today can barely make it in school. There's... There's just a general lack of respect even amongst first and second and third graders for a school principal. Someone with as much power and authority as Pastor Bob. I thank God that our mother never allowed us to show any disrespect. I, I was hoping and praying all my years as a child that at some point she'd take my side. She never took my side, not one time. And I know those people were wrong. I I was a genius at 5 and 6 and 8, 10. I was a good kid. How is it that she'd always side with the teacher, with the authority, with the principal? Do you know what? She instilled that love for authority enough in us, although I had my moments with Pastor Bob, and although we had our clashes, and although I was often in trouble One day when I decided to get married and I was looking for a best man, you know who the first person was to come to mind? Authority. Thank God for a mother. If you want your children to be successful, you as a mother had better teach your children principles of authority and teach your children when they're four and five and six and seven and eight. So by the time they're 14 and 15 and 16, they already develop the habit, the pattern to simply obey and respect and love all authority that God has put in their lives. Thank you, Mom. Number six, like Samuel and I have to say thank you, Mom, for instilling in me a love for the Word of God. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 19. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did not let None of his words fall to the ground. Verse 1 says this, The child Samuel ministered in the Lord before Eli. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. We see a young man all through life and early in his life, he already had developed a love for the word of God. And this love was developed, first of all, because we saw her. We saw her loving the word of God, reading the word of God daily. Although she raised seven children, plus all the extra ones that were constantly living in our house. You could not wake up before my mother. I don't care what time of night you go downstairs. If I were sick, I would walk down the stairs and there she'd be reading her Bible. I think she just read her Bible all night long. Maybe she wasn't godly, maybe she was just crazy. All I know is every day of my life I remember waking up and seeing the same person, the same chair with the same Bible. Take a look at her Bible sometime. Every verse is marked and circled and highlighted because she loved that book. And I'm thankful that as soon as we could read, they got us a Bible, put it in our hands, taught us to read that book and meditate it and study upon it. I remember she encouraged us to study and read and memorize Scripture. I remember memorizing the book of Philippians. I don't remember what age, probably 11 or 12 years old. The book by heart, not because we had a competition, but because they were instilling in us a love for the Word of God of God. And mothers, let me say this. There's nothing more powerful that you can do with a long lasting impact than to tell your children stories. You get your children together and tell them stories and she would tell us Bible stories and read. I remember one of the books she read to us when we were little children was Proverbsville. And it would take a proverb of the Bible and there would be a story, and I guarantee this, that book lasted for about a year, and I know she was just making things up. She said, we're going to read out of Proverbsville, and I think she just saw something in us that day that she knew needed fixed, and she would open that book up and fake like she was there, and she'd tell us a story of Adam and Mona and little Doyle, and you mean to tell me that was written in the book of Proverbsville? And she would tell us principles through stories, and listen... She was an effective Bible teacher and instilled in us Bible principles because she would sit down with us, tell a story. She had a series, a life series of stories called the Gladleys and the Glumleys. How many remember that? Mr. Gladly. Mr. Gladley obeyed gladly and his children were gladly obedient as well. I know in this house we have no Glumleys living here. There was little very glumly, and his brother seemingly always glumly. For years we heard about the Gladleys and glumlies, and some of you have heard those world-famous stories. You know what she did? Through all that, she was instilling in us a love for this book and a life that was ordered by Bible principle. Some of that's so deep I I couldn't reach down and pull it out because that was a period of 17 or 18 years where she was making sure to instill in our hearts a love for this book. Mothers, you're doing your children an injustice by rearing them in the house of God and not instilling in them a love for this book. Yep. Especially with everything that we have accessible. Find them and play for them Bible story tapes and CDs and get them hooked at an early age, addicted to the word of God. Yep. Say number seven. Thanks, Mom, for not overprotecting me. Look what it says in One verse 25, this little boy, we don't even know. Maybe he's five, six, seven, eight years old. She comes down, makes a sacrifice. The end of verse 24, look what the last phrase says. The child was young and she brought the child, verse 25, she brought the child to Eli, extremely young. I I feel sorry for children this day and age and the way they're overprotected. They can't help. Listen, we're we're training an entire generation of effeminate boys because they're being overprotected. I thank God for a mother who made us work at a young age. I'm sure she waited until I was two or three to make me mow the yard. (laughs) But I was young. She made us play outside. If there would have been an Xbox or video game, I guarantee you she wouldn't have let us play it. We were around during the time of Atari. I never got to put my hand on it. I don't even know what it is to this day because in her mind it was the accursed mark of the beast or something like that. She let us hunt and carry guns. She let us fish at the river. Some of my best childhood memories are fishing with Charlie Ward down the river. Have you ever walked down or seen the Colorado River? That's where we grew up fishing as 9 and 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds. See, I don't think I'd send a 10-year-old to the river, not unless you teach him to be responsible. When you still feed him his breakfast cereal, I don't think it's a good idea to send him down to the river to fish. Yeah, when you're still cleaning his fish and he's 18... You have overprotected that child. When his 25th birthday, he finally receives a BB gun. <laughs> you are overprotecting that child. Thank God, we climbed trees. We raced motorcycles. I remember years ago here in Texas, my dad was crazy on a motorcycle. I never enjoyed motorcycles just because my dad was so crazy and I had to be that crazy. And I never wanted to be that crazy because I'm not crazy. Your previous pastor was crazy. You've got a sane pastor at this point. But we were going up to Temple to write and I was supposed to meet him later on in the week. And I got up there to the hotel and knocked and no one answered. So I got the key and went in. And there was blood all over that place. And there was a do not disturb sign on the front door. I'm serious. The bed was covered. He had been, in, I don't know who in the church would have been with him at that point. I can't even remember. But he was riding a willy at about 45 miles an hour and flipped it over and just flayed his back. And there he was trying to treat himself. And I said, Dad, good night. His knee was swollen. And he said, son, we got to find out some way had to get healed up so your mother doesn't know this happened. I said, I I was afraid to stick around. He's going to teach me how to do that Willie and the backflip at the same time. And both of us were going to have to trick my mother out. I wish we would have had a mother that overprotected a little bit. We actually walked around with pocket knives. You know what? She didn't overprotect us on the spiritual side either. She actually allowed us to go street preaching when we were kids on Congress and 6th Street. She actually allowed me to go street preaching at 7 or 8 with that man right there, Dr. Dave Hoffmeister in the street corner. Do you remember that Main Street? Rifle, Colorado. 7 years old. They're putting a 7-year-old with a Bible and making him street preach on the corner. Thank God for a mother that did that. She sent me off to Bible college when I had just turned 17. Didn't even put a $1 bill in my pocket, but she did bless me. (laughs) And said, don't come back. Only losers come home during the middle of the semester. And I didn't raise a loser. And she didn't. They never helped me pay a college bill. I guess they considered that (laughs) overprotection. She actually let us suffer rebuke. She made sure that we paid the full consequence of every action and misaction. And if she didn't consider us to have paid the full consequence, she would invent another consequence. (laughs) Thank you, Mom. Mothers, you are doing your children an injustice by overprotecting them, to help them grow and mature and face life. Number eight, thank you, Mom, for teaching me to do the right thing despite what others were doing. Those around me, I was raised in this Christian school, but at that time, our Christian school was smaller, and Dad had the gift of mercy, and although he said it was a closed school, he was constantly opening the doors to some troubled child, and normally that troubled child was in my grade and I could list you a half a dozen young men that came and went and very few of them lasted more than a year or two and most of them were in extreme trouble and I thank God for a dad who would stand up and say there's no such thing as peer pressure and I say yes there is <laughs> you don't remember high school Beer pressure doesn't exist And in my mind, I would argue. And now that he's gone and I stand behind this pulpit, I want to tell you something. There is such a thing as peer pressure. (laughs) But he taught me to withstand it. I thank God for a mother who never justified what we did wrong because of the crowd that we were with. She never said, well, you know, the problem is he's with the wrong crowd. She would say, you know what, Adam, if you're there, you're the wrong crowd. Maybe those kids are running with the wrong crowd. Maybe I reared the wrong crowd. What is wrong with you, son? But when she asked me that, her eyeballs would pop out of her head. Her hair would lift off the top of her skull. And her words would reverberate all the way down to my heart and scare the bejeebers out of me. Thank God for a mother that taught me, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. Look what was going on around little Samuel, chapter 2, verse 17. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great. We're talking about Hophni and Phinehas, Elias 2. Some would call them hypocritical. I would call them perverted. These two boys, verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. These men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered. I like that. Did you get the context? Verse 17, two very perverse boys that were living with Samuel, doing the wrong thing, constantly in evil influence, abhorring the offering of the Lord. But Samuel, in the midst of that, ministered before the Lord, being a child, taking a stand and saying, I don't care what direction they've gone, and I don't care what they're doing, I am going to do right. Now, you say... Adam, was it the Bible stories or was it the teaching or the Christian school? Uh, What was it that, that put that in you, that gave you roots, that led you to do the right thing? It was called a love for life. I had no intention of having my life snuffed out by running with the wrong crowd and doing the wrong thing because that woman right over there would have considered it. And I knew she'd consider it. So I said, it's either life or death, right or wrong. I think I'm gonna choose life. That's a good choice, right, Brother Dan? Thank God for mother. Listen, there are so many children. Number one, they know their parents have no clue what they're doing. And number two, they know if they get caught, they can talk their way out of it. Number three, they know they can manipulate either mom or dad. There is no punishment. There is no crime. There's no right or wrong. They can, in the end, justify and play with their parents' mind and get away with doing anything they want to do. Not only do we have to do right so right that it looked right, but occasionally, if we'd done right, actually for a week in a row, mom wouldn't believe it and invent a wrong that we had done just to remind us that we weren't as perfect as we thought we were. Parents, you want your children to do right. Right? And that won't happen if you're not being a mother on purpose and saying, even in a Christian environment, you will have wrong influences. And you are making the wrong decision by overprotecting your child and saying, I want to grow them in a bubble where nothing evil will ever come within 500 yards of them. I'm for protecting your children from evil. I'm for helping them grow up simple concerning evil. But if you're protecting them from a Christian school environment, your child's so weak when he turns 18, he's gonna flip out of that bubble, fall right off the edge of the cliff he never knew how to develop a backbone stand up to wrong and say I don't care what you guys do I am going to do what is right because I have a God in heaven and a mother at my home and I fear both of them amen thank God for that woman right there her patience, her love, her persistence and then she put the fear of God in me deep inside of me Chapter 2, verse 18, I want you to see one last thing. Samuel ministered before the Lord. Look what it says. Being a child, I'm thankful for a mother early in life when I was a child that showed me the way of salvation. Mothers, your number one concern ought to be the salvation of your children. Every day, every thought, every devotion, everything you do ought to revolve around those children understanding and coming to the point where they can confess, repent, and receive Christ as their Savior. And as a child, I'm thankful for the sermons I heard and for the preaching and for the Bible, but it was a combination of all those things, the devotions at home and the services at church and mother's instruction that at some point I knelt down beside my bed, got onto my knees and trusted Christ as my Savior because I had a mom that was concerned specifically about my soul. I remember the night we got saved. They were looking around for New Testament because they wanted me to have my first Bible the same night that I got saved. And I don't know where they went or what they did, but they they managed to find a New Testament. And then I remember even more than my salvation prior. Are you saved, preacher? I think I'm saved. I believe I'm saved. Some of you have doubted that over the years. but, But she found a little mustard seed and glued it in the front leaf of that Bible. And then she quoted a verse about having the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. But she taught us as little children about salvation. What a shame to think there are kids that are, growing up in Christian homes that are 12, 13, 14, 15, that yet don't understand salvation because mom hasn't taken the time to explain to them salvation. And you ought to be concerned. Mothers, you ought to be concerned. Parents, if you don't see in your children any fruit of salvation, you ought to be concerned about their souls. And you ought to pray for their salvation. They ought to hear their mother's concern and compassion as she weeps and prays for the soul of that child. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing that will lead them to Christ like a mother on her knees weeping before God for the salvation of her child. No preacher in chapel, no message at a conference, nobody on this planet can have that kind of impact. And those children, they hear their mother weeping for their soul. It'll shake them like nothing else. Begging God, God, would you save my son? Would you save my daughter? Thank God for a parent that's concerned about my soul. Now, let me ask you this. Number one, are you saved? Are you born again? Maybe you didn't have a mother that taught you the gospel. Maybe you didn't have a mother that brought you to church. Maybe you didn't have the privileges that I had growing up, but God has you in this church this morning Amen. and you get saved right here. Amen. Despite not hearing the gospel, now at your age, you can trust Christ as your savior. You can get born again. Amen. Maybe you were taught something else. Maybe you were taught salvation came through good works. You know what you need to do? You need to get An understanding of this book, God's holy word. Do exactly what it says. Trust, believe, repent. Ask Christ to save you. There beside my bed with my mother and dad, I knelt down. Simple prayer. I couldn't even tell you the words. But I remember my heart. I remember my brokenness. I remember my condition. I remember the conviction. I'm sure whatever I said, it was simple because I was only five years old. But I'd heard the gospel before I could even speak. I'd been read Bible stories before I could even read. And I said, Jesus Christ, I want you in my heart. God, I want forgiveness. And I know this, at that point, Jesus Christ moved in. My life changed. I stopped smoking. (laughs) From the the minute I got saved, I never drunk a drop of liquor from that day forward. Not a drop. Now listen, God wants to do the same for you, and it can happen this morning. And if you're not saved, I'd recommend you do it today. And if you are a mother and you know your child's not saved, I would get on your knees this morning and I'd make it a habit every single day, whether that child is two, whether it's a, that child's a teenager or a grown man, I'd be in daily prayer for the salvation of their soul. Because you don't want to live with the thought of going to heaven and that child going to hell. And you're the one that can make a difference in that life.